So today we're going to continue our study in the book of Colossians. Uh, today's focus passages will be the first chapter, verses 21 through 29. And then we're going to ease on over into chapter 2, the first three verses together, all right? So the first week we talked about Paul in his struggle sought to, be, sought to celebrate. Now, for those of you who are new to us, the apostle Paul is imprisoned in Rome. And uh, he is writing a letter to the church in an area called Colossae. Uh, in a conversation this week, I was visiting with someone and I helped to remind them that our Bible, we, we call them books, and it's a, it's a gathering of, of letters. This is a letter that was written from the Apostle Paul to the believers in the area of Colossae. And, uh, and it, it, we call it a book, but in its original context, it was not called a book. So Paul is writing a letter to the group in Colossae, and his first intention is to celebrate their faith in Jesus and their growth in that faith and their faithfulness in that faith. We need to celebrate when we have opportunity to celebrate. Amen? We, listen, it's okay to celebrate. Celebrate the little wins. It's okay. Man, look, they gave me double fries. Win. They gave me two apple pies. Win. We need to celebrate the wins. It's okay. The world needs to celebrate the wins more than we commiserate everything else. And we ask the question, why did he do this? Well, because he has the same call and the same cause we do. And then the second week, we talked about Paul, in the midst of his struggle, sought to serve. And kind of the crux of that service was this. He wanted to teach the believers in Colossae the truth and the importance of the preeminence of Jesus Christ. We talked about there's prominent. That means, you know, you can be really important. Uh, you're, you know, you may be better or more important than most people, but you're equaled by some. If we were going to put that in a human context, let's say our president. Okay, our president is prominent, right? There's only one of him. There's only one at a time. There's only one of him currently. But if we take it to the broader context of the world, the, he is not the only single authority. You can go nation by nation, and you can see the presidents and the prime ministers, whatever they call them. So he is prominent, but he is not preeminent. Uh, I'm sorry, <laughs> preeminent. Uh, preeminent. I was just testing you. But when it comes to Jesus Christ, our world would say that Jesus is one of, but the Bible teaches that he is one of. He's not one of many. He's one of one. There is no equal. No man, no government, no principle, no strategy, Nothing ever will equal Christ, not for a moment and not forever. He is preeminent. The world struggles with that truth. Sometimes even Christians can wrestle with that truth. I've had more than one Christian tell me, they go, well, it makes me feel mean. And I said, well, now listen, don't, don't worry about how it makes you feel. You need to ask the question. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. That's what Jesus says. Amen? Amen. 
What about on this side? Amen? What about in the middle? Amen. So, is Jesus trustworthy? Because that's what it comes down to. You say, Jimmy, I, that's your, it's a binary choice, ladies and gentlemen. Either what Jesus says is true or it's not true. And if it's not true, then what are we doing here? And so Paul, in the midst of his struggle, wanted to minister to the church in Colossae. And we're going to talk about that more in a minute. And he wanted to help them understand and solidify the fact that Jesus is preeminent above all things. Today, we're going to look that in the midst of Paul's struggle, he wants to validate something and someone. Here's a question for you. Do you trust communication that you receive from an unfamiliar source? You ever get a text from someone, you're like, well, who is this? I get, I get these weird texts every now and then. I always let my bride see them because I get a text, and it sounds just good enough. And I'm trying to be nice, and I send back, I'm sorry, I don't recognize this number. Who am I speaking with? And then I get this. Are you lonely? Would you like to talk? Oh! And this is what I do. I show it to my bride, and I put shame on you, and I block them. Shame on you. I don't care who you are. Shame on you. Like my grandma used to say, shame on you. Shame has a place, and we need to put it in some more places. But when you get a text message or you get an email and you go, gosh, that sounds just right enough. They call that phishing. Or you get mail in your mailbox, you know, that thing out in front of your house that you never go to. I think the kids call it snail mail. And you get something and it says, uh, important information needs verification immediately. And you're like, right. And then I love it when they spend the money to get the, the printed part written in cursive like someone wrote it. Oh, someone wrote this. I've got to open this immediately. AARP's been sending me cards for two decades. Just as we in our world now have become very mindful, skeptical, I don't know where you are on the spectrum. It's like when I get friend requests. Listen, I... I've told you before, my policy on my social media is very broad. Why? Because to me, that's an opportunity to connect with people and be able to speak into their lives. And I get a friend request. And I'm like, because you know what? You know, when I get a friend request, one of you knuckleheads always show up in their friends. And I'm like, Ugh. and so I write a text and I, and I message them, private message them. Hey, thank you so much. For wanting to connect with me and you know could you help me better understand how we know each other how we might connect you know I want to connect with a true friend right and it tells me it, it's a real simple test because one if someone gets ticked off because I send them that I don't want to be your friend if they don't respond to it mm, and then when they do respond they go oh well don't you remember da 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 and I'm like Winner, winner, chicken dinner, right? Well, we find in this time in Colossae, 
this similar challenge. The Bible says there's nothing new under the sun. Amen? Well, let's look and see. Have you, uh, I'm so good, I walked right over all that. Let me, let me just get right ahead here. So now Paul, oh, I chose a terrible color right there. Paul, you don't have to make me feel worse about it. Man, I already admitted I feel bad about it. You should feel bad about it. So here Paul has encouraged them. Paul has tried to disciple them. But now we still have the question. These believers, they've never met Paul. Now they're benefactors of his ministry, but they've never met him. In fact, they, they know about him through their pastor's relationship with him. And their pastor went to see him, but their pastor's still missing. He hadn't come back yet. So the fact that there might be a little hesitation is perfectly normal and we dare say maybe even acceptable. And so this week as Paul's writing, he, he's, he's wanting to help them better understand why they should trust him and receive what he is sharing with them. Verse 21 and in the words you can't see, although you were previously alienated and hostile in attitude, engaged in evil deeds, the reason I highlighted the part that you can't see was I wanted to mention this very quickly. He says, and although you were, he says, you once were one thing, but now you're something else. But in spite of what you once were, I still want to communicate with you. Paul, Paul knows where people come from, but he says, regardless of where you come from, I still, though, want to communicate to you, although. Church, can I ask you a question? Even if you know where someone comes from, do you still, is it, you still want to communicate to them? You still want to uh, share with them? Do you still want to be engaged with them? Does where they come from have an effect on your connectivity with them? It shouldn't. We have to be very careful. Because we all come from somewhere, amen? amen? We all come from doing something. But Paul says, although you were previously alienated and hostile in attitude, engaged in evil deeds. So Paul's audience is made up of two types of people. The Gentiles and the Hebrews. A Gentile is anyone who's not Jewish. It's real easy. Now, the challenge that we face here is first, in Hebrew, the Hebrews, Jeremiah 30 and 22 says this, and you shall be my people and I will be your God. Why is the nation of Israel different? Jeremiah 30. That's what God says. God says he and the nation of Israel have a covenant relationship. And ladies and gentlemen, God takes his covenant seriously. And the reason we should be concerned about his covenant is this, is we are a covenant people. God's covenant with us, what? The only way you claim to be saved is because God made a covenant with you. And so the nation of Israel has a relationship with God that comes with an information and a process of knowing him and interacting with him. But the Gentile is alienated 
And the word alienate, as it translates from its original uh, language, says to be shut out from one's fellowship and intimacy. The Hebrews knew of God. They had the word of God. They had the worship of God. They had the process of God. They didn't bat a thousand at it, but they had it. But if you're a Gentile over here, guess what? This is all new to you. You've not had this. And so Paul is writing to an audience of people who know God, but, you know, need some discipling, and people who don't know. Have you ever met someone who goes, I've never been to church? I've never even been in a church. And you're like, what? I mean, I don't know. Is there any? Nah, we don't have time. But there are people in our world who've never been in church. You're like, what? What do you mean? Well, there were Gentiles who never had the knowledge and the relationship and the process that the Jews had. Verse 22, and he says, and yet he has now reconciled you, speaking to the Gentiles, uh, his, uh, rec- excuse me, yet he has now reconciled you in his body of flesh through death in order to present you before him holy and blameless and beyond reproach. Paul is telling to the Gentiles because of Christ, his death, burial, and resurrection, and because your faith in him, God has brought you into the physical body of faith. He's brought you together with the intention to present you in such a way. I love this illustration. The Bible teaches us that for the wages of sin is death. That means every single one of us is separated from God because of sin. That's a problem. But Paul says, although you were previously alienated, that was me. That was me, and that was you. Alienated from God. He has now reconciled you. Who? God reconciled you. By whom? Jesus. Through what? The cross. The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ has reconciled mankind to God because Jesus paid the penalty for the sin. Whose sin? My sin. Your sin. Which sin? All of them. Why? To present to you before him holy, which means set apart. We're coming into holidays. We're coming into Thanksgiving. Mm. Wait a minute. Mm, Turkey and dressing. Is there anyone here that has dishes that only come out on Christmas and Thanksgiving? Those are holy dishes. (laughs) Not that they're spiritual. But what? They're set apart for a purpose. You don't just bring those out for 7 o'clock cowboy snack time. Why? Because they're holy. They've got a purpose. They're unique. They're set apart. Are they better? Listen, are they better than Chinette? No, not really. They serve the same purpose, right? If they keep the soup out of my lap. But they're set apart. To present us what holy, set apart. Now, unfortunately, sometimes believers take holy as to mean better than others. We're not better than anyone. We're just called to be different, amen? 
I'm not better than anyone. But to be holy, that means to be set apart, and to be blameless, that means without sin. And then last one, I love this, above reproach. Now, what does that mean? Hold on. Above reproach means there's no handles on you. I'll do it. The most current illustration of this happens to be a political figure. This is not a political statement. It's just a great illustration. But there is currently a representative who at one time in their career was accused of things he shouldn't have been doing. He was, there, were, there was reproach. There were handles on him. And he was taken to court. And thank God we live in a world, the court system, the court system said there's no handles on him. So he was above reproach according to the process, amen? Process isn't perfect, but thank God you got a process. Well, that individual, (laughs) that individual seems like maybe they didn't learn. Well, now, guess what? People go, oh, there's handles on him. He has reproach. And uh, this time, my friends, I don't think it's going to work out for him as it did the first time. But what Paul is saying is that Paul's desire through his teaching is this, that by faith we are holy, we are set apart, we are blameless, which means our sins are forgiven, and we are above reproach, which means there's no handles on us. There's no accusation or no valid accusation to be above reproach. Now, people can accuse you of anything. You know, here at ALF, one of the things that we do to be above reproach is the only access I have to money at ALF is I carry a a credit card. And that credit card, I don't know, what is it, like $3,000, Josh? That's the only access I have to money. I don't touch money. My name's not on the accounts. I can't sign checks. You walk up and try to hand me money and watch my arms go (laughs) T-Rex. Do you know why? How many ministers named Jimmy have fallen? (laughs) Because of why? Money. Jeff, if Jeff were here, listen... Almost 19 years ago when I got here, I said, one of the things I require is I want to be above reproach in the area of finances. You can accuse me of a lot of things. You just can't convict me of it. Why? I want to be above reproach. And Paul says that because of Christ, this is the desire that we are holy, blameless, and above reproach. But the only way we do it is what? We have to receive it. I can't do it for you. If I could, I would. If I could just find that little jump drive plug in the back of your head, I'd just plug that little thing right there and hit download, and we'd just tune you up. But no. The relationship to God through Jesus only comes through our choice and our pursuit. God has made it available, but we must receive it. It's like a gift. If I buy you a gift and I offer you the gift, it's not your gift until what? 
you receive it. And if it's a good enough gift and you don't receive it, I'll keep it. <laughs> Verse 23. If indeed you continue in a fair, uh, in, in the faith and firmly established and steadfast and not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you have heard, which was proclaimed in all creation under heaven and of which I, Paul, was made of minister. So Paul is saying that he wants you to continue to grow in your knowledge, in your faith, and in your stability. Listen, what you build your life on is important. If you build it on a firm foundation when the storms come, and they will, you may get some shingles blown off. You may get a tree blown over on it, but it will stand firm. The foundation doesn't change when the foundation is God's truth. What is of shakeability is us. And he says, I want you to, re- to continue to grow. I want you to grow so that you might be stable in your faith. In what? In hope. And what is Paul speaking of in hope? First, he's talking about yesterday's grace. Amen? Listen, I'm not the man I will become, but I'm not the man I once was. Amen? The hope for what? God's grace. God's grace is sufficient for me and for you. And that's exciting. That gives me hope for today's help. Listen, man, today's crazy. Amen? Some days are diamonds and some days are stones and some days, gee whiz. But today we have hope and help. Even in the midst of uncertainty, we can have a peace that passes all understanding. And greater, maybe, than those two, but at least equal to, is tomorrow's heaven. One day heaven. Amen, Jimmy. Amen. One day heaven. Maybe today heaven. Paul says, I don't want you to lose that hope. If the storms of this life blow us off our foundation, these are the prices that we can pay. Not the loss of grace because nothing can take you from the hands of God, but the help and the hope and the security and the purpose of today. And then you just might start start doubting tomorrow. And Paul makes a statement. He says, Paul was made a minister. Hmm. Paul was made a minister. By faith through grace are we saved. And then Paul was made a minister. What does that mean? Paul was made to be a witness of Jesus. Look to someone to your left or your right and go, I'm a witness. You see, you see, when you hear the word minister, you think the paid professionals. But Paul says every single one of you, Taylor, look at me, one of you, every single one of you are ministers. A witness to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Every single one of us are witnesses. God made us that. What? By faith through grace. And now he says, go tell people. Go show people. Paul's ministry, what is it? He says, my ministry to you is not taking your money It's not building bigger buildings. 
is not being at the tip of the spear for political arguments. <laughs> My ministry is reconciliation. We sang about that earlier, didn't we, Chuck? Yeah, reconciliation. Second Corinthians 5 says this, So then, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Amen. What was old has passed away. Look, what, ha- what is new has come. And all these things are from God who, what, reconciled, there's our word, us to him. Listen, you didn't choose God. God chose you. He reconciled us to himself through Christ and who has given us, what, the ministry of reconciliation. Say it again. I'm a minister. Hmm. In other words... In Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting people's trespasses against them. And he has given us the message of reconciliation. Say, I am us. Say, we are us. Say, you are us. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were making his plea through us. We plead with you on Christ's behalf. Be reconciled to God. God made the one who did not know sin to be sin for who? Us. So that in him we would become the righteousness of God. It's nice to meet you ministers. Verse 24, now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. For in my flesh I am supplementing what is lacking in Christ's affliction in behalf of his body, which is the church. I was made a minister of the church according to the commission from God granted to me for your benefits so that I might fully carry out the preaching of the word of God. That is the mystery which has been hidden from the past ages and generations, but now has been revealed to the saints, to whom God willed to make known what the wealth of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles is, the mystery that is is Christ in you and the hope of glory. We proclaim him, admonishing every person and teaching every person with all wisdom so that we may present Every person complete in Christ, for this person I also labor, I'm sorry, for this purpose I also labor, striving according to his power which works mightily within me. Now Paul said God made us ministers, us. Now Paul says God has made me a minister. That's the vocation. That's the delineation between you and me. I could take you to the place. And I can describe to you very vividly the events of the evening. When God made me a minister. I I didn't understand the contract or the terms fully. I most assuredly, 
All I know is God wanted it all. And all I wanted was to give it to him. And I don't regret that day for one moment. It has provided me some of the greatest moments in my life and some of the worst. But Paul says that God makes us ministers and then for some of us, we receive the privilege of being a minister. To give the sum total of our lives to the proclamation of the gospel. And Paul says that the root of my suffering is the proclamation of the gospel. Back in his home, well, in his chosen hometown of Jerusalem, he was persecuted because his faith in Jesus and his Jewish friends didn't want to hear about Jesus and they certainly didn't want to hear about him talking about God's love for the Gentiles so much that they wanted to kill him. And he says, as a Roman citizen, I want to appeal this. And that's how he ends up in Rome. The proclamation of the gospel was the root of his suffering. But in the root of his suffering, what? He wanted to celebrate. He wanted to minister. He wanted to validate. The reconciliation taking place in the building of the church with both Jew and Gentile believers, both in need of discipleship. The Jews needed to better understand who Jesus was and what he did. The Gentile needed to know about God in total. What an incredible church to try to mentor and disciple. The Gentile believers had no knowledge of God's word, unlike the Jews who needed education. Paul's preaching will provide education. As a minister of the gospel, the one thing I want more than anything else is that everyone would be reconciled to God through Jesus. I am unashamedly seeking to save anyone who will listen to what God has to say. I want that more than anything. You can ask my bride. I step out my door every morning and I say, I'm going to save the world. Because my world is lost. And it's in need of the same Jesus that I met all those years ago. My ministry is of reconciliation. I don't care where you've come from. I don't care what you've done. I don't care what you believe or what you didn't believe. I just want the opportunity to tell you about Jesus as best I can and as thoroughly as I can. And then you do with that what you will. Because that's the responsibility God has placed upon me. And he will educate. We don't know what we don't know until we learn what we don't know. And then we need to educate people. It is my deepest desire to educate you on what God's word says and how it applies to us in our current context. Paul's preaching will provide for this church in Colossae of the Jews who see Jesus for who he really is. And the Gentiles who see Jesus, who have no background in anything church. He wants to educate them. They don't have the Bible yet. They don't have the internet yet. They don't have version yet. They don't have YouTube yet. He's building this house from the ground up. 
It'll be education, then it's edification. It's the celebration of who he is and who we are in him, amen? It's the edification of you're not the person you used to be. I once was blind, but now I see. I once was, and fill in the blank. It's the edification of the saints. We should spend as much time celebrating who we've become as we do remembering who we became from. Don't ever forget where you've come from, but always celebrate who God's making you into. The edification, and then lastly, the correction. God's word is corrective. If you love someone, what? You discipline them, amen? And sometimes your pastor needs to speak a word of correction to you. Would you please receive that with the grace in which it's given? More people leave more churches because their pastor speaks a word of correction. Because there's either what? Justification or repentance. Paul as a minister of the gospel is seeking to give them the full counsel of God's word for their personal benefit, for their personal edification and maturation. As a minister of the gospel like Paul, my desire is threefold. That you would come to know Jesus as your personal Savior. That you would be reconciled to him. That you would be mature in him. And enjoy all that that means in this life. And that you would finish the race well. That one day you too can stand before your Lord and Savior and hear him say, well done. My good and faithful servant. I want that for you more than anything. And Paul wanted that for those in Colossae chapter 2. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those in Laodicea and for those who have not met face to face my goal is that their hearts having been knit together in love may be encouraged and that they may have all the riches that assurance brings in their understanding of the knowledge of the mystery of God namely Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Paul says, I hope that you'll listen to what I have to say because of my love for you. No, I'm not there in your presence, but in spite of that, I have you in my mind and in my heart and in my spirit. I hope that I can earn that in your life, the church of Colossae. And I hope that I can earn that in your life the church at Authentic Life. You see, Paul's not all that different in some ways. 
we offer this same love to that lady in Kenya whose house you built. We offer that same love to the gentleman that walks up to that blessings box that you fill. We offer that same moment of normalcy of walking into a shower and having 20 minutes of privacy and normalcy on Wednesday because you provide the location. It's having expectant mothers come here and have fellowship and discipleship and all that that entails as they celebrate the arrival of this little one. And then they capture photographs of that, that special time in life when that, that little one's carried in the, the safe security of their mama's womb. And that's provided by you. Do they know you? No, they don't know you. They know me because I'm the guy that walks in. And they go, oh, thank you. Oh, thank you, pastor. Thank you, thank you. And I want you to know I'm quick to say, well, this isn't mine. This is ours. And greater than that, it's his. The only reason I can offer you this is because you provide it. So just like Paul in the absence of presence, can still make his love, his persistence, and his compassion known. So we too, through prayer, through proclamation, and through perseverance. Brothers and sisters, we must persevere in the faith. We must finish the race. We must break the tape. Because people are looking to us. And if you don't believe that you're stumbling or falling out of the faith would not have ripples, you don't understand your ministry. There are people watching. There are people wanting to see and to hear. And you go, man, that's a lot of pressure. Yeah, it is. But it's okay. No one ever said it'd be easy. God just says it'll be worth it. Right? I'm telling you. Josh, is it important to you that you finish the race? Have you ever given thought to what would happen if you didn't finish the race? The ripples? That that, I mean, think about it. Hmm. My friends, I I want you to know you're important to God's plan. Your homework for next week is to read Colossians chapter 2. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for today. And Father, we thank you that because of our faith in you and your reconciliation of us, Lord, that we are ministers. Lord, we are your ambassadors. We are your message system. God, what a great privilege and responsibility that you have given to us. Father, remind us each and every day. Lord, when we do real good and sometimes when we don't do real good. Father, our world is thirsty for the living water. 
that we carry because it dwells in us. Father, help us to be faithful to the faith and all that that entails. Father, help us to be a light on a hill, a candle in a dark room, an oasis in a desert. Help us to be what you would have us to be in this world that people might see Jesus in us and through us as your ministers. Father, we thank you for the church at Colossae, both Jew and Gentile. Father, we thank you for Paul who understood that ministry is so much more than just where you happen to be seated. Father, help us to be ever mindful that ministry, yes, begins at home, but it shouldn't. Lord, it can't end here. Father, I pray that you would bless and inspire your ministers as they go into their mission fields, as we begin a new week, a new work week, and whatever that means to each and every one of them. Father, they are your ministers in their mission field. Let them take great joy in that for their good and for your glory and for the sake of a lost world. We ask these things in Jesus' name.